0: Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Church podcast. For more information about Highest Praise Church, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Lancaster. Would you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9? Mark chapter 9. Uh, as we speak right now, we're here, worshiping, and uh, our youth pastor, Pastor Ryan, is seven miles down the road at our friend Mount Olive Baptist Church, giving a word. And so let's just be praying for him. And I uh, believe that God's going to do something awesome down there. He's with Pastor Anthony Clemens, who's a dear friend of ours. And so um, I'm excited when the kingdom of God comes together and we start just preaching all over the place, right? In our own community, in our own community, that's, that, that's a sign of a healthy community. That is, it is. Um, today, uh, I want to bring something to our attention um, of, of something I believe that is very important, and it's on the topic of trust and trust issues. Um, does anybody in here have trust issues? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, y'all, y'all did it anyway. I'm loud and proud, brother. I got. No, nah, it's not y'all, it's first service. First service has all the trust issues. You, you guys, you guys are good to go. No, um, yeah, just first service people. They only come then. Uh, but hey, listen, we, we I want to talk to you about trust issues today. And it's not in the manner probably of what you are thinking. It's not... Uh, it's really not tied to forgiveness or anything like that, but but really about trusting and believing God. And in Mark chapter uh, 9, verse 16, we're gonna dive into this and we're gonna go go somewhere today. I believe God's got a word. Um uh, in verse 16, let's read this together. He said, And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Some versions of the Bible uh state, What are you uh, arguing about? Again. Uh, he, they're, they're church people and they're arguing with each other. I know that's not y'all, it's first service again. They have all the issues and all the problems. They're the ones that argue. But listen, hey, what are you arguing about? What is it that you're speaking about? And, and uh, when this question is asked, you can't just look at the words on the paper. You have, actually have to understand what Jesus is trying to do here. And what he's trying to do is he knows what they're discussing, right? He knows. He knows all things. He's omniscient. He, he understands and knows what's happening in a conversation. But how many know it's important to know what is coming out of your own mouth? He's not asking them in order for him to know. He's asking to bring to their attention and awareness what they're saying themselves. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so he wants you to be aware. I teach my kids all the time. Hey, I want you to make sure you think before you Speak, And so he's asking them here, and I believe more than ever before, it's important to know what kind of words are coming out of your mouth. What things are you saying to yourself? What things, how are you re- representing the gospel with your mouth? And how are you representing, what are you speaking into your own lives? You can be your own worst enemy and, and speaking. So be aware of what is coming out of your mouth. So he says, what are you arguing about? What are you discussing? Verse 17, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes at him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, and they should cast it out, but they could not. So he answered and said to them, O oh, faithless generations, how long shall I be with you? How long do I have to put up with this? How long shall I bear with you? So bring him to me. Verse 20, then they brought uh, the boy to Jesus, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. What if I closed right here and left y'all with that? That'd be something else, right? would be something else. This is the Bible. It's real, and it's true. It's alive. And But this is one thing that I believe that, that happened that we all should ask the question of in our life, he says, so he asked the father after this all happened, he says, how long has this been happening to him? How long, in other words, he's saying this, father, daddy, how long have you been dealing with this situation? How long has this been going on in your house? How long have you been fighting this fight? And how long have you been dealing with this situation? Because I believe right now that Jesus was asking him this question because he knew that in this moment, no matter how long, he's saying, Daddy, I want you to take inventory of how long you've been dealing with this because you take them to everybody else, but now you brought them to me. And because I'm here right now, you're going to finally be done with this situation. The wait is over and the freedom is coming to the house right now. Now, hallelujah. And listen, I want to bring a word to somebody right now that I want to, no matter how long you've been battling and dealing with something, it may be something with your children, it may be something with your family, it may be your finances or your business or in your mind, but I don't care how long today, if you meet with Jesus, Jesus said it has to end today. Hallelujah. How long have you been putting up with this because it ends today? Everybody say today. If you receive it, it will happen in your life. It has to end when Jesus shows up in the situation. So Jesus says, how long, Daddy, how long have you been putting up with this stuff? And I want you to know there are things in your life that you are tolerating right now that Jesus has already dismissed from your life. You you can today receive the freedom that was bought on the cross 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Jesus is here in the room. So how long have you been putting up this? And he said to Jesus from since childhood, and he has thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Show your love that compassion is, is show your love to me. Show me that you care about me. Show me that you really really care about my boy. Show me that you care about my hurt. Show me that you care about my broken. Show me that you care about what I care about, Jesus. Show me. If you have compassion on my son, have compassion on my situation. But if you can, have compassion on us and help us in this moment. In verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, how about if you can? How about you believe? See, the question is not if Jesus can, because he already has. The question is not if he can do it. The question is, can you believe him for it? And it's not whether or not Jesus can. And most of us don't have and haven't experienced God at the level we're supposed to, because we don't always believe and trust that he can. Can, But he turns it back on the man and says, it's not if I can, it's if you can believe. If you can believe. Because how many know that in this moment, Jesus can do anything but fail? He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. Everybody say cried out. And said with tears, with tears. He's crying out with tears. It means something to him. He's having a moment of intimacy with Jesus, like emotion is coming from a place that he probably hasn't had in a long, long time. He cries out with tears and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I believe as a Christian but in this moment I'm having trouble believing right now like I believe that you're able I believe that you're healer but I'm just struggling with the idea that you're not healer I believe that you 're the Messiah, but i 'm struggling in the moment trusting that you 're my savior i you know as a, as a pastor I, I trust you, God for your provision, but in the moment i don 't see anything coming in so god i 'm having a problem trusting you as my supplier god, I believe you 're the waymaker, but i 'm really struggling with that you 're my waymaker. anybody ever been there? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, help my situation help my My unbelief and so the words that that he is speaking here are are a declaration that is vulnerable yet powerful. In verse twenty five, when Jesus saw people running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he began as he became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. Many said, it's not going to happen. Many said, it's over. Many said, Jesus has failed. Many said, there is no hope. Verse 27. How many know Jesus said is what matters, right? And verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Everybody say arose. I believe some stuff is going to get up today. Um, There's one thing that I want you to... I want you to, to focus on and, and that, the, that the Lord really dealt with me this week is the statement of when the Father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so I began to really dive into this and, and really figure out what exactly is happening contextually in this scripture. And so I went back to the Greek and I looked up these two words. And in the Greek, the word believe is the Greek word aposteo. Aposteo, and this is what it means. It is the saving intellectual faith. It's believing in God. Okay, believing that he is. Some of you just saying today, hey, I believe in God. Uh, preacher, you don't have to t- convince me you don't have to pull out your apologetic study Bible you don't have to present to me a, a, about everything about God and and the the evidence of his existence that's me I believe in God it's also referring to the uh, the belief that Jesus is the Messiah in other words that he is your savior and so you believe in God you believe that Jesus is and you believe that he is the price paid everybody say amen so he's the father's looking at him saying, I believe. And the next thing the father says is he says, God, I believe that you are. However, help my unbelief. So let's focus on unbelief. And the word unbelief in the Greek is the word apostia. Apostia, It means without trusting God. So in other words, the father's saying, God, I trust you but I don't know if you trust. I trust or I believe in you, but I don't know if I trust you right now. Like I believe you're the healer, but I have a problem believing you're mine. I believe you're the way maker, but I'm having a problem believing that you're my way maker. So, so it's a belief that's battling with trust. So You have faith and you have trust. You have faith and you have trust. And so today when I was reading this scripture, I understood and, I, and the revelation came that this man has some trust issues. He has some trust issues. And so I'm to begin to, to, to figure out contextually what the word trust here actually deals with. And when you look at two things, you have the belief, you have faith, and you have trust. Faith is a noun, but trust is an action. Faith is a noun, trust is action. The majority of the time, faith is listed as a noun, and trust is listed as both, but on most occasion, listed as an action. Here's a definition of trust I want to give you. You ready? Trust is the physical evidence of an inward belief system. It is a evidence. Your trust in God is evidence of what you believe about him. So if you trust him, and we use that word lightly, but if you trust him, it will be evident by your beliefs that you have on the inside of you if you don't trust him. So trust is a window into your spirit of what you believe about God. Titus 1 and 6 says this, one sixteen. excuse me, said they profess to know God, they know that God exists, they believe that God exists, but, everybody say but, but they deny him by their works. In other words, they believe that God exists, but there's a level of unbelief so that their works is a window into what they really, truly believe about God. Do they truly trust God? Uh, See, your action, listen, your behavior is a product of what of who you trust of what you trust and what you believe in. So if your behavior doesn't look like the word of God, do you put trust in the word of God? If your behavior doesn't look like kingdom behavior, what does that mean? Do you have put trust in the Lord your God? So um, we worship, and here's what I want you to believe. We have no problem in here on Sunday morning worshiping God, to worship you I live, to worship, uh, there's only one thing, you're, you're the only thing, nothing else matters, and we have no problem doing that. However, the same voice, the same tongue that we praise with, we pout with. You know what I mean? And, And throughout the week, our actions, we have no problem praising on Sunday, but on Tuesday, we worry ourselves to death. Like, in other words, we trust Him in this house, we trust Him in this place, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we somehow, in between, lose trust in God. In other words, God, on Sunday, I believe, but Monday through Friday, God, help my unbelief. Anybody get an amen, right? God, help my unbelief. I'm struggling here. And so we have to get to a place where we don't trust him. Listen, we don't trust him in a manner. We don't just believe in him to go to heaven someday, but we trust him and believe in him to bring heaven to earth today. It wasn't enough for this man just to believe that he's going to heaven He needed Jesus to do something right now. And he said, Lord, I believe that you are, but I need you to be mine. I need you to do something in my life today. So faith is going to, listen, faith in Jesus is going to get you up there to him. Trusting and fellowshipping with him is going to get him to move down here. Does that help you? All right. So how do we how do we put faith in how do we put faith and trust in God? Number 1, what I want you to know is fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is this, trusting in his love. The Father came to Jesus and says, "Lord, have compassion." have compassion. Father, Jesus, I'm coming to you and I need to see your love. I need to feel your love. I need to know that in this moment when my back's against the wall and my son is convulsing on the floor and things are happening all around you, I need to know that when my back's up against the wall, God, you'll tear the wall down and you'll walk right in the room. God, I need to know that you're mine. I need to see you move in this situation. I need. I know he now knows that he can't vicariously live through anybody else. You can't vicariously worship through this great worship team that we have. You can't vicariously listen and preach and declare God by the voice of the pastor's mouth. You have to say, God, I can't vicariously live through anybody else. I need you now. It's a cry of intimacy by the Father. He's saying, Jesus, help my unbelief. He's crying out, tears streaming down his face. He's raising his voice. It's a cry of desperation and it's a cry of intimacy. He says, I need to know what it's like to have you move for me, not just for the pastor, not just for mama, not just for daddy. I need you to do something for me now. I need to see it in my life. See, the father understood that nothing changes without fellowship. Nothing changed without fellowship. The fact that he thought that Jesus was the healer wasn't enough to change his son's scenario. I want to say that again. The fact that he thought that Jesus was the healer, he believed that Jesus was the healer, wasn't just enough to change his scenario. Because it listen, it wasn't the idea of revelation; it was the engagement of fellowship that changed the situation. It wasn't just the thought of going to church on Sunday. It was the engagement of a life lived for Jesus. all right, It hit home a little bit. It wasn't just the idea that yes, I can check a box that I 'm a Christian. No, it was the, the relationship and fellowship that now I have a relationship with the Savior of the world, and I don't and that just the idea of it isn't going to bring change it's a fellowshipping relationship that is day to day that's going to bring about change. In their life, yes and yes, there's a difference between bringing yourself down to an altar and giving your life to Jesus and fellowshipping with that Jesus for the rest of your life. There's a difference. And it was fellowship that power was demonstrated. And, and, and many times in situations like this in the Bible, we can, we can look in situations situation and say, man, they're just hanging out with the wrong people. But the man came from church. I mean, he came from the disciples, for goodness sake, right? The inner circle of Jesus. He came from that. He came from a place. But there are things that you cannot receive through other people. There are some things that you can only get straight from Jesus. You can't just rely on this message on Sunday and then forsake him on through the rest of the week. It has to be a fellowship. And I, and I want you to know that this father was at a place where he understood he had to have fellowship with God. We had, I had, a, we had a situation last Sunday with our son. Our, we have the greatest neighbors ever. They, they threw my, all three of my kids a birthday party on the same day because they missed them. So it was really cool. And they got these little bouncy balls. All right, You remember the balls that used to bounce on as a kid? It has a handle in the middle and you use your feet? Yeah. Yeah, th- those things are dangerous now. I just want you all to know they're not what it used to be. But so my four-year-old Davis, is, we, we were right in the middle of a Nerf war. Okay, make sure you wear safety goggles. I'm a testimony of what can happen if you don't. So, I, so I, and, and so, Davis, my four year old, went to the toy box area to, to find another blaster. We got them. If you need them, let me know. Wholesaling them from my house right now. And so he went there, but he stood up on one of these bouncy balls, and of course, the ball flies up underneath him, his feet go up in the air, and the back of my child's head hit, hit the plywood toy box. Jesus. And in that moment, of course, he's crying. In that moment, I run over to him, and I pick him up, and I grab him. And I put my hand on the back of his head, and my hand is in a pool of blood. Yes, it was rough. And so I'm grabbing him, but in that moment, and, and it was and I'm so thankful that in that moment, I didn't just have a panic attack. I didn't worry ourselves to death. We didn't just, we didn't just give in and, and, and didn't know what to do. How many know that in that moment, I was thankful that I didn't have unbelief in my life? I was so thankful that I didn't have to turn around and ask for forgiveness and get my life straight and repent to God before I brought my child to him, right? And I was so thankful in that moment I could grab him, put my hand on Him, and say, just say the name of Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you can and that you will and that you are, and the baby's going to be just fine. So... So it's, it's an idea of knowing that, hey, I just don't believe, but I'm trusting in you in my moment in this situation. God, I need you. it becomes impossible for those to trust God with their life if you don't trust him with the time of fellowship. It becomes very difficult. Jesus not only loved us away from sin, but he loved us into a fellowship with him. So he's going deeper with us. And, and we got to know that, hey, we've been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And once you come to Jesus, it's no longer, woe is me. But now you come to him wearing the, wearing the elder brother, knowing that, hey, I come to Jesus not as a sinner, but I, anymore. I've come to salvation. I've come to know his goodness. But now I come to him and belong to him. I'm now aware that I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And that doesn't come from a place of, of, of just salvation. It comes from a place of fellowship. That kind of revelation comes from fellowship with him. Fellowship with him. There is, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, God says this. says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. With his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the cross was the door. That Jesus opened, not for it to be over, but for you to walk in fellowship that is brand new. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And he says this in Romans eight fifteen. He talks about two revelations here. And I, I think this is where some of our, the eyes of our understanding are going to open to this. Romans eight fifteen says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, hallelujah, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption to sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father. When you read this, that's revelation number one, that this belief that God has adopted you. Now, here's what I want you to know. We think of adoption in the Western world as a Western culture adoption where we go get something that doesn't belong to us. We take it and make it ours. That is not the biblical definition of of adoption. In the Bible, adoption means that I'm going to go get something that belongs to me because somebody took it, and I'm going to go get it and bring it back where it rightfully belongs. So when he says, hey, when a spirit of adoption has come, that God has adopted you, the Bible says that before the foundations of the world was that you were with him, that you were created in him. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. So you were created and made in Christ before you were ever made inside your mama. Before she ever got pregnant, and yes, I did say she got pregnant, she, she, right? So she got pre- Before she ever got pregnant with you, Jesus had already created you, formed you, planned you, and executed out through eternity who you were going to be. And so when you come to a house like this, and you come into the presence of God, and you give your life to Jesus, and that's why when you come inside the doors, we have a big sign that says, welcome home. Not just the highest praise church, but welcome to the place where you've always belonged. The place where you were originally created in the kingdom of God for a purpose, with a plan, with a destiny. And if the enemy tells you anything different, that's a lie. Hallelujah. And so that's why a sinner can come into a house like this, and to a time like this, and the presence of God fill the room, and something on the inside of them, the spirit of adoption starts to take place, and they say, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I need to give my life to Jesus. I don't know why, but I feel like there's purpose in the house. I don't know why, but I've got to make a decision. You know what's happening? Is adoption is happening. That you belong to him, and he's calling you to a place of commitment and fellowship. So that is the door. It's the entryway. That's number one, revelation number one. And so we continue. The, the instance is not only the spirit of adoption to sonship and by him, we cry, Abba, Father. It's a realization. Adoption is the, is the realization that, hey, you find out whose you are. Salvation, you find out whose you are. That's why the Bible, that's why Paul says you call him father. You find out that you're a son. You find out that you belong to him. You find out that you're adopted into the kingdom of God. You find out whose you are at salvation. And then he continues, he says, verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17, phase two, ready? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Everybody say heirs. Step two, heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I wanna focus on heirs here because when it says that you're an heir is, is that it's a realization, not just that you are a son. So your salvation, you find out whose you are. And, but as a fellowship happens at salvation that continues, you find out who you are in Christ Jesus. You find out who you are in Christ Jesus. So you get to a place where you don't just know whose you are, but the revelation of who you are. When my my boys, I told you about Davis. He always gets hurt. You know him, okay? That's that one. I got two more. But one of the things that happens with with my boys and and you guys, I really, I told, I really appreciate how much our church family loves on my kids and my sons and all the kids in the church. You guys give and love on them, and it means so much to me and my wife. And I hear you guys say things like, or or you'll ask my kids like, "Are you a mama's boy or a daddy's boy?" And it's very evident which one is which. Um, if you hang out with us a little bit, you know exactly who we're talking about. But there, it's a it's a mama's boy or a daddy's boy situation. It, and parents, you know exactly who, which kids, I mean, it's just a reality, guys. Y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. No, it, it, it is. And so one thing that happens and takes place is that when they were born, my kids' first words were mama and daddy. Mama, Why? Because at birth, in that initial coming out as babies, the first thing they realize is who they belong to. Whose they are. And, and so there's a, there's a realization that that's mama and that's daddy. Just like, just like Romans 8 says that, hey, you, you have a spirit of adoption and you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. I need a Savior. I believe you find out whose you are. But my responsibility as parents, our responsibility as parents, is not just that they know whose they are, that my kids know who's they, who they are. That they have to now find out through fellowship with Mama, and daddy. That it's now my responsibility to tell them who they are. Because at salvation, you find out that he's savior. You find out that he's Messiah. You find out that you needed him and you find out you're adopted. But it's through fellowship that you find out your purpose. You find out your destiny. You find out God's plan for your life through fellowship. So you find out whose you are and through fellowship with Jesus, fellowship also meaning trusting God, through trusting him, you find out who you are, who you are in Christ Jesus. Many of you right here know your work, you know what you do, you know how much money is your bank account, you know how much gas is in your car, but right now you probably couldn't, some of you may not even be able to tell me what God's plan is for your life. And it comes about from a place of fellowship. What is the currency of fellowship? Time getting to know him. How do my children... It's my responsibility as daddy to teach my kids who they are. And you want to know why we have an identity crisis in the world today? It's because there are mamas and daddies who don't teach their kids who they are in Jesus. They, our, our children don't know. And, and I, this week we had on Thursday... We had a church staff come from Sanford. They follow us online and they, they see what God is doing in the house. And so they just, they came down, stayed at Holden Beach and came and spent time with our staff this week. And one of the things that, as I was speaking to them over in the student center, their heart was broken because I could share with them the desire to see more of a young generation keep from, from seeing a mass exodus of a young generation happen within the church. And their heart would cry. They're a church plant. They've only been planted since February. But they're seeing the struggle that is happening to keep the generation hungry after God. And the the conclusion with tears running down their face, tears running down my face, just the cry as pastors was that, hey, the problem is, is that there is a belief on Sunday in the house, but there's not a trusting Monday through Friday. And that is what the world is watching to see. Not only do we believe in Jesus, but do you trust in Jesus? So when, when you are served a notice or you're served a bad report or you encounter somebody that, that you're, not just, you're not just believing when times are good, are you trusting him when times are bad? You take lemons and you squeeze it and you get lemon juice and you take oranges and you squeeze it and you get orange juice. Why is it that when we get squeezed, anything but Jesus comes out? And so the world is watching. What happens when pressure comes? What happens when opposition comes? Are you trusting? Because trust is is a revealing of the belief system on the inside of you. What happens? What happens when you trust? What happens when you believe God? But as parents, I'll, this is not in my notes, but I want you to know it is your responsibility to tell your children who they are in Jesus. The Bible says in verse 26, I'm getting all kinds of places, but in verse 26, that when Jesus cast a man out, that there were people there present in that moment who said when he fell, they assumed him as dead. You have a decision to make. Because if you don't tell them who they are and tell them that there is life, that there is purpose, the world will tell them that they're dead and that they're lost and that there is no hope. And the Father had an option in the moment to believe and trust in Jesus or, which to many of us do, we weigh and, and we hold on to the opinions of man. In that moment when Jesus spoke his word, the man fell dead and in the, or down and they assumed him as dead and he had an opportunity. Does he lean on the opinions of man or does he trust God? You ever been in a situation where things don't just don't work out like you planned it to? Things just don't, like I thought it was gonna be different. Like I thought this, I thought it was just gonna feel different. I thought it was gonna happen in a different way. I had this thing all figured out, but in that place and in that moment, the father had a decision. Father had a decision. Who am I gonna believe? His cry out to God was a cry for intimacy. It was a cry to say, Jesus, I believe you, but help my unbelief. So it's our responsibility to not not just for them to find out whose they are, but through fellowship, they find out who they are, who they are. And the father knew that something was only going to change through fellowship, so he brings it to him. But there's something that I want you to know, is that even if my kids, if my responsibility is to tell my children who they are, If they were grown and 25 years old and that same person came up to them and said, are you a mama's boy or are you a daddy's boy? Things will be real weird at that moment, right? Why? Because the older they get and the more they fellowship with mama and daddy, the more they grow up, what happens in that opportunity of fellowship? They start identifying things about themselves. So the conversation changes not, are you a mama's boy or daddy's boy? But at 25 years old, at 15 years old, the conversation changes to, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you feel like God's calling you to in your life? What kind of sports do you like to play? What kind of places do you like to? There's an identity that takes place through fellowship that is the responsibility of fellowshipping with the Father. And so if you wanna have purpose and you wanna know what God's gonna do and you wanna have faith and you wanna see God move in my situation, no matter what it is, it comes from a place of fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship reveals who you are. Salvation reveals whose you are. The next thing that I want to talk to you about real quickly is stewardship and maturity. Everybody stand with me for a moment. Stewardship and maturity. Stewardship and maturity. Here it is on the screen. Trusting his place, trusting his plan, and trusting his hand. Are you going to, are you going to, when the plan doesn't seem and wasn't what you anticipated, what are you going to trust in? What are you going to believe? What direction are you going to go in? What's, what's the next step for you? Because here's what I want you to know is that in verse 26, I want to read this. Verse 26 said, then the Spirit, Jesus told it to come out out of the boy, told the Spirit to come out of the boy. And the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became one as dead, so that many thought he was dead. Many thought there was no hope. They had no trust in Jesus. They had no fellowship. And I want to give you real quickly four symptoms of not trusting Jesus. Here's your mirror, right? Here's the Word of God reflecting and identifying some things in our life. Number one, symptoms of not trusting. Number one, you find identity through your own personal accomplishments. That hurt. Like you identify your purpose through your accomplishments and not relying on who Jesus is and what he's called you to. Number two, there's overwhelming insecurity. The father at the moment, if insecure and not trusting Jesus, would have fallen prey to the opinions of man in that moment. Not trusting Jesus will cause you you to be insecure in who Jesus is and who you are in him. Number three, you operate in the spirit of rejection or offense. Jesus, I thought that you were going to do it. I thought you told him to get out. I thought that they loved me. I thought that it, and so you walk instead of walking and knowing and trusting and felt listen when you don't fellowship with somebody you'll believe any lie that is told about them like if you don't know me and someone t- tells you in a grocery store don't go to high sprays because XYZ you're gonna have that opinion but if you know who I am and you know my heart they're gonna come up and you say that just doesn't line up that's not right and when Jesus sat there and spoke it the words come out in that moment it didn't matter what man said. He now had fellowship with the father. And so when they said he's dead, the father just stepped back and said, that doesn't make sense. I wish we'd get to a place of fellowship when the enemy shows up and says, your children are dead. You step back and say, that don't make sense. That's not who God is. That is not the word that is spoken. That is not the promises I've been given. And I want to expose in this moment right now that every lie the enemy must go. And the promises and the word of the Lord will be the only thing that walks with you outside of this door today. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to receive that in Jesus name. That was We hope you enjoyed this message from our weekend experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate through our website, highestpraisechurch.com. And if you would like to stay up to date with all that God is doing here, be sure to follow us on Instagram at highest.praisechurch and like us on Facebook at highestpraisechurch. We can't wait to see you soon.